chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Father God, I um, we cannot fathom what it would be like to never have heard your name, to not know this story. God, we just praise you for, for what you did so long ago so that you could be alive and working in us today. Father, thank you for preserving your word through all these generations, God, that we would have it and be able to read your story to us. I'm struck, God, by how um, exact your plans are that nothing catches you by surprise, God. And I pray that we would just have eyes that are open to what you're doing in the world around us. God, that we would have eyes that are open to what you're doing in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray that as we wait even for your second coming, God, that you would find us faithful. God, that you would find us um, eagerly waiting. Because when you call us again, say go to the place where you belong, your home, you're going to mean with you because that's where we belong. So Father, I just thank you for calling us. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for redeeming us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. We're almost there. It's almost that time just to celebrate the the birth of Jesus Christ, and we've been talking about over this Christmas season um, the, the power of story, that we all have a story, and in our story, we're not actually the star, right? Jesus is the star of our story, and how in actuality, we are kind of the supporting cast to this story that God is unfolding to the whole world, and so I thought it was fitting for us to hear someone's story and hear a testimony about what God is doing, and so um, my favorite missionary in the whole world is here, my daughter Shelby, um, from Thailand, and so I'm going to invite her up to tell a little bit about her story. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Sawadee Okay, hi. Okay. Okay. Hi, I'm Shelby, and today I want to talk to you about Thailand a place that's very special to me. I actually live in Phuket, Thailand, and I work with a nonprofit organization called For Freedom International. And at For Freedom International, our goal is to help people and women and children and men and everybody who are just being exploited and yeah, have just really rough go at life. And we wanna be able to give them a new vocation, a new career, and to share Jesus with them. 
So I am now the director of the vocational training salon program that we have at Freedom International. We have two vocational training programs, a bakery and a salon. Um, so this past year, we were able to have four students. They were all in the bakery side and we had none in the salon. But that created a lot of awesome opportunities for me to be serving in other areas. So we had the opportunity to have a two-month program with a um, girls' home called Sunshine Village. So Sunshine Village is like where girls come who like have no parents or like one of the parents has passed away and they don't have enough money to support their kids so they send them to a girls' home. Um, so we were, they were able to come during their summer break and kind of get some more education and just get some love poured onto them um, so they weren't just having to sit at home all the time during their whole summer break. Um, so Sunshine Village is actually super opposed to Christianity. We've been trying to get our foot in the door for like a really long time with them, but they've been super resistant to For Freedom International. But since it was COVID time and everything else was shut down, we were the only program that was up and running for them to send their girls to, which is a blessing. <laughs> um, so we got to really love on them, and we had discipleship every morning, and we made sure to tell them, like, hey, we're sharing Jesus with them every morning. And they were like, okay. Um, so then we just went crazy, and, like, we're sharing Jesus like crazy with them. And four of the students actually came to know the Lord. Yay! <laughs> and it was just so exciting since... Like, we haven't been able to go in there, so being able to equip girls to go in there and just be having Jesus' light, light in them was super cool. And it's been pretty rough for them in that, like, environment. They've been, like, kind of struggling. But we have a house mom and our discipleship teacher who have been, like, texting them and FaceTiming them to help them continue that walk with the Lord. So we're hoping that sticks for them. Um, so, yeah, my eight-month program will normally be eight months, and we will be taking in survivors. So survivors are those who are being, they're either exploiting themselves or being exploited against their will, and they were taken out of that situation, kind of given help by like mental help, physical help, and like spiritual help, and then they'll come into the vocational training program. So that's my eight-month program that we do. Uh, actually, next year we're having uh, seven students right now who are going to come to our programs, which is so exciting. We had four last, now we have seven. Um, so two of them we think are going to come to the salon. Yes, finally. And then the other ones are on the fence still, but I can accept four, so I'm hoping we get all four slots filled. Um, yeah, so that will be our next eight-month program. Then we have this kind of three-month, maybe four-month kind of gap, and I really wanted to continue to, like, teach and educate during that time. And there's a whole, there's another demographic in Phuket, which are at-risk people, which means that they're just in poverty. They don't have enough money for higher education. They don't have enough money to even finish high school most of the time. So I really wanted to, like, find something where I can educate them. Um, so I created these workshop programs. So they're two weeks uh, every month, and we teach them one specific skill. So that's, like, nail technician program, for example, is one. We teach them how to do a full manicure, full pedicure, and so that they have some kind of skill where they can go into a nail shop and be like, hey, I know how to do this, um, and just kind of get their foot in the door and get trained in that. Um, so we actually give them our certificate of completion at the end of these training programs just to make it, like, super valid and, like, professional that they can, like, show that they've done it, you know? Um, so we did two nail tech programs last year. Yay! Uh, we had five students graduate from that, and two of them started their own little cute business at their church where they'll give, like, manicures for really cheap for practice, and they were so driven. And it really, like, helps make me excited for the next year, just seeing them, like, 
really take that and like really try to make a new career with that. Uh, we also did a hair cutting workshop. And okay, teaching how to do a full hair cutting, how to all the different haircuts and all the different like stuff is really hard to do in two weeks. So I'm hoping next year we can really, I don't know, like make it way better. <laughs> so yeah, that's what's in the future for the workshop programs. So I'm super duper excited for next year. I've super duper appreciated y'all's prayers and support. Just knowing I have people back in America praying for me and thinking for me has been just such like a uh, warmth to my heart and I, I don't know, I just really appreciate it. Um, one prayer request, if y'all could pray for me, <laughs> would be that I really wanna be loving on my students and my language skills aren't quite there yet. Uh, Thai is kind of a hard language for me to pick up. So I would love some prayers and just being able to pour into them without having all the words. And for my continued learning of the language that that can just like really shoot up and I'll just understand Thai like overnight or something. <laughs> um, so just be able to like talk to them better and stuff. So yeah, I also have a table out in the foyer. If y'all wanna come visit me after and just get more information, sign up for my blog, take a prayer card, put me on your fridge, all that fun stuff. So thank you guys. So uh, thank you for being a supporting cast for Shelby in her journey to reach people around the world. And one of the things you learn about our story as we walk through life is that the setting of our story is important. Where you grew up and where you serve and, and how you live affects the story. For example, Shelby in Phuket, this beautiful island, but also invites a lot of the evils of the world. Because people on vacation, they, they, they're looking for prostitution. They're looking for exploitation. And so the, when they're looking for it, it's being provided for them. And so in that setting, it's created an opportunity to help pull survivors out and to give them a hope and a future with Jesus Christ. And so what is the setting for our story? What is the setting for your story, um, your family, and your opportunities you have over this Christmas break to, to bring up the topic of Jesus, to share of his beauty um, and his amazing um, grace for us? And when I was thinking about the setting for Jesus' birth, right, and what Sandra read for us out of Luke chapter 2, right, in those days, this sort of question just came up in mind is, why did Jesus come when he came? Why was Jesus born at that particular time in history? Because God is writing this great big story, isn't he? We found that on Exodus, that all these things that are happening in Exodus were foreshadowing the things that were going to come with Jesus and the temple and the tabernacle and all these incredible things. If God was writing the story, why did Jesus enter into time and into the flesh at that particular moment in time? Would it be different if Jesus had entered the world today? I want you to think about it. I want you to imagine that over in, the, over in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, was born this day Jesus. What kind of world would he grow up in? Would it be a world that he would be noticed in? For example, if Jesus was walking around in our world, healing the sick, feeding 5,000, walking on water, would he get noticed? Would he go viral? Probably, right? But also, would he get lost in the information overload of our world? Would he be just another video? Would he be just another thing that we swipe by in the world that we live in? And that's a question for me is this, even in the world that we live in, would Jesus get noticed in my life? If I were to go into your internet feed, 
or your Spotify playlist or your YouTube homepage, would it scream Jesus? Now, we know he's the most important thing in our lives. He is the foundation of everything that I do. And if you go to my Spotify, because I did this last night, if you go to my Spotify wrap-up, right, my number one thing on there, I've listened to 9,245 minutes of music this year. Primarily worship, then Christian hip-hop, huge rap fan, right, KB all the way, Holvey, amazing guys, right? right? And then I had some, one thing you didn't find on there was country. You didn't find any country on my playlist this year, right? Zero minutes. Okay. But it had a little bit of rock in there because, you know, I got in that little 80s mood for a little while, right? Like a little, you built this city, right? You got to kind of get that out every once in a while in there, right? So you had a little bit of that in there. And so, man, but if you were to look at my YouTube channel, sports. Coach Smith lives there. Highlights of games, fantasy teams, how to throw a disc right and disc off, all those sort of things. You're going to find all these sports things. Would your scream politics? Would it scream cat videos? I don't know, I don't know what, you're, what you enjoy, what you like. Would it be like meme channels? If you were to look at your homepage and people were going like, oh, I looked at your internet history, you must really love Jesus. Is that what your internet history looks like? Being honest. Like the real internet history, right? That's what I'm saying. Is it screaming Jesus? Because we have so much going on in our world. There's so much information at our fingertips all the time. Would Jesus have gone? What if Jesus had come back in the 80s when we built that city, right? What if he would have come in the 80s? What would it have been like? It would have been a little bit different if Jesus came there. You know, just things, there was no internet back then, right? Phones had cords. I mean, it was weird, right? Would it have been different? Or what if Jesus came in the 60s? Would he be explained away as just being kind of a, oh, he's just a part of that, that culture now that's being built. What would happen? Why did Jesus come in the perfect time that God intended for him to do? That's what we're going to dive into. We're going to dive into this idea of Jesus coming at the appointed time. The, appointed. the first time we see this term, the appointed time, is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 18, right, we see this time where Abraham and Sarah um, are, are there, and Jesus comes by right after Sodom and Gomorrah is talking to them, and he tells them that they're going to have a child, right? And Sarah laughs. Do you remember that story? She kind of laughs. But then that Jesus, in this particular scenario, says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Are you sure? Because I know right behind us is those doubts. Right behind us are those, those cares of the world trying to choke us out, right? But the question is, is there anything too hard for the Lord? No, right? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son at the appointed time. And then we saw in the book of Exodus, we saw this term, the appointed time, in referencing the feast, the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, the Pentecost, all these sort of feasts that were supposed to be done at the appointed time because they were going to point to Jesus, the first fruit, the bread of life, the unleavened bread of life, the Pentecost pointing in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see these festivals being played out in real time. That's why the timing was specific. But one of the most um, interesting people in the Old Testament that talks about the appointed time would be Daniel. And you're thinking, Daniel doesn't sound like a Christmas sermon. It is today. Okay, so in Daniel, right, in chapter 11, verse 35, we see this like, 
through these visions, these incredible dreams that Daniel's getting to see, God's constantly speaking to him, especially in the, the meanings of those things, things like this. He says, and some of the wise shall stumble. Amen to that? Some of the wise will stumble, right? And so they may be refined, purified, made white as snow until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. That there is a point in the future that Jesus is going to return, and we're excited about it. But there's also a point in Daniel's life where he's looking forward to a Messiah, looking forward to an anointed one to come. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 9. Turn there with me. We're going to be in verse 24 to start. It says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Woo! That is some stuff happening, right? In these 70 weeks, the finish of transgression, he's going to put an end to sin, right? He's going to atone. What an incredible thing. And then he says this, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall um, have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed. And so in this description, he talks about weeks. Now, these weeks are groups of seven, right? All scholars agree that these are groups of seven years. So seven weeks would be 49 and so on like that. But it gives us some time stamps for this anointed one. It says, from the decree of the return of the people to Jerusalem. We know when that happens. We know in Nehemiah chapter 2 that Nehemiah was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, right? And he was bringing him wine one day in Nehemiah chapter 2, and the king was asking him, why is your face so sad? Are you sick? And he's like, no, my face is sad because my hometown, Jerusalem, is destroyed. And I want to go back and rebuild it. And Artaxerxes in 444 B.C. gave him permission. He decreed that Nehemiah could go back and rebuild Jerusalem. And this point in history is the beginning of this 70 weeks. It's spoken right here. When the decree goes out that we can return, then it starts the clock. Right? And then there's a seven-week period and a 62-week period. But then down in verse 26, I think it is, it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know when the city and the sanctuary was destroyed. That was in 70 A.D. So we have this time period from 444 B.C. to 70 A.D. with the destruction by Rome, destroying the temple. Not a single stone stood unturned. The destruction of that in this time period, the anointed one was going to come and be cut off from the people. Now, interestingly enough, this Hebrew word for anointed one, do you know what it means? It means Messiah. That the Messiah was going to come and then be cut off in this 
time period. So it gives us a time, God calling this shot, saying in the future, during this time period, my Messiah is going to come to the people. But it gets even more interesting than that because he actually gives us these time periods, right? For example, seven weeks, right? Seven groups. No, I know. It's time for some morning math. You guys are excited, right? You know I taught math. And you're like, yes, we love morning bath. Or you're like, nope, time to go to the bathroom. Try to check out. No, but we need to do some math conversions. But here's why. Seven times seven is 49. Y'all are so good. You remember those flashcards right back in the day? Or did y'all get pull up the calculator on your phone? Do it real quick. All right, so um, we have this seven weeks. Now, listen, this is the Jewish calendar, 49 years. But listen, the Jewish calendar had 360 days. Our based Roman calendar, right, has how many days? 365. So over time, those years do not translate exactly, right? So you have to do a little bit of conversion, 0.986, right, with some more decimals after it, to convert from the Jewish years to what the Roman years would be on our calendar, Okay, so you'll see these conversions up here, the 62 weeks, which is 434, and then converted down to, what is it, 428? Yep. And then in total, 69 weeks are going to be complete until the anointed one is cut off, right? So you take the Jewish years, you take the 476 for the Roman years, but and you know what happens when you take 444 BC and you add into it these years, you get 32 or 33 AD, that the anointed one called by, da- by Daniel in this book, was going to be cut off at some point in this 32, 33 A.D. period. Now, I remember a character that rose to prominence around this time. Emmanuel, Jesus, right? During this time that was in this exact time period. But it gets even more interesting because when you start looking at these things, the question in your mind should be, well, why did it happen in Rome why was Rome the, the rulers of this land? Because if you remember back, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. Remember in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel came to prominence because King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he went to the wise men and said, tell me my dream and give me the interpretation. They're like, we can't do it. Tell it we don't know what the dream is. You, we're going to kill you limb from limb, right? And then God gave Daniel the vision. And Daniel came and told him. And the vision was of this huge statue, do you remember? had a golden head, which was for Babylon, and had, had the Medes and the Persians were the silver chest, right? Two arms becoming one. And he had the bronze, which was for Greece. And then he had iron for legs, which stood for Rome. And it was going to be the one that crushed all the other ones, right? And so when you look, like for example, let's look at this little map, okay? Now, this little map is a map of what these different empires look like. Egypt, of course, where they were taken from. And then the Persian and Babylonian had a very similar landmark. And then Greece with Alexander the Great just racing across history, but it really like a flash in the pan because he died young. And then the kingdom split into four. That's where you got the four-headed monster in Daniel's visions. And then Rome comes in. Which, by the way, a lot of these graphics that we're going to look at today are from a book called Person of Interest. Okay, If you want something to read over the Christmas break, it's called Person of Interest by J. Warner Wallace. So he's the one who wrote Cold Case Christianity. He goes through and he looks at these different cases from sort of a forensic sort of 
look. It's an amazing book, and he gives this free PDF for you to look through different things, and he's just excited for people to use it to talk about how amazing Jesus is, right? So a lot of these graphics are from that book. If you want more details about the stuff we're talking about, man, dive into that book. It's a great listen or a great read I'm over the break. But we see that Rome has risen to prominence all over the land, right? And look what it says here in Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 44. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone that was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and that it broke the pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain in its interpretation, sure, that there was going to be one. There's all these kingdoms of the world, but there was going to be one to come, the rock that destroyed them all and set up a kingdom that would stand forever. Who is that rock? Jesus. He's going to destroy sin. He's going to destroy death, and he's going to give us hope in a future. And Rome was going to be that, those, that iron legs that were going to be destroyed. Why, why else Rome? Because there's some interesting things that went on in Rome, right? The technology of Rome. Do you know that Rome was one of the, the greatest road builders and bridge builders and tunnel diggers of all of antiquity? They were incredibly advanced. Why would that be important for the message of God so that they could take it to different places? But roads are not good, Right? Roads are not good. Roads, you realize, were developed really in about 100 B.C. But roads are not good if you're just paving the way for your enemy to march into your capital. So in order for roads to be effective, right, you really have to have peace. And so do you realize that there was actually a time of peace inside of the Roman Empire called the Pax Romana? Right? You may have read about that in history. It started in 27 B.C. and went on till 160 AD, there was this time of peace because if you were going to travel everywhere, it didn't do well if you were going to get killed on those travels, right? And what's interesting is now that there was roads to travel on and now that there was peace in the land, that all of a sudden mail developed. This ability to send letters to other people and send messages through these courier systems became something that became commonplace because now travel was free all around. And that mail system really developed in Rome around 29 BC. But Letters aren't that effective, really, unless you have a common language, unless you have a language that everybody can understand. And for the first time, really, in history, a kingdom had a common language. Everyone spoke Greek. We had a common alphabet for these letters to be used on. So all of a sudden, in Rome, we see these developments of, of roads for travel, Right, where we get stories like the Good Samaritan story where he's left on the side of the road. Right? We have this time of peace where Jesus could travel with his disciples all over. Paul, on his missionary journeys, could travel all over Rome without fear of another conquered nation. We have letters being sent out, which turn out to be in our Bible today, as Paul sent out letters to his friends in Philippi and Thessalonica and so on. And we now have this common alphabet so the word of God could be written. And when you Put it all on a timeline. Let me show you a little timeline, okay, that I put together last night. So you see, this is Daniel's prophecy, right, from 444 to 70. And then you see the developments from the bottom of Rome. You see this transportation. 
You see this peace in 27 BC. You see this male system coming up in 29, and you see the development of the common alphabet. And when you begin to see where do all of those things intersect, which would be the perfect time for God to insert himself in the world, you see on the timeline this 27 to 70 AD time period for Jesus to come, where God had set up the plan, prepared everything for Christ to come in, to live, to die, to raise again from the grave, and to see his disciples start the church, send out the church to the end of the earth. Wow. It's almost like God had a plan. It's almost like he told us, he told Daniel the plan, and then he made that plan come together. Do you think God has a plan for you? In the midst of the Christmas season, Christmas can bring about some amazing memories, can't it? Just beautiful, fun lights and celebration, but can also bring up a sense of loss. Those that have lost people that they love this year, it could be a, a desperate time, a hurtful time as you begin to face the season, but yet God is with us. God is with us even in the midst of all of these things. And what's even more incredible as we look at this is not only did Jesus come at the perfect time in the culture, but during this time period, the spiritual development of the world was on full display. We had the Greek gods and the Roman gods. We had this mythology of people looking for purpose in life. Let's look at a story about it. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, we see... Um, Paul going up in Athens to talk to the philosophers, those searching for higher purpose and higher meaning. And this is what he says to them in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopolis, beautiful site, by the way. If you go there today in Greece and you go to that, that site, um, to Mars Hill, you're going to find a plaque of this scripture there for everybody to see, um, which I think is an amazing testimony. And it says this, men of Athens... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. In every way they're searching for something. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. In other words, they had all these things, Zeus and Hermes and all these different gods and statues of all these things, but they still had a statue to the unknown God. They thought there's still something else out there that we don't understand. And Paul presses into that spot, right, and he tells them this, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. He's introducing a new God, a true God to them. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Woo! He gives us life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of, of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps fill their way towards him and find him. Yet he is not actually far from each one of us. He's not far from us. He is there for us in the midst of our joy or in the midst of our trial. He is there for us. And we see this spiritual awakening in the people 
at the time of Jesus' coming. Let me, let me show you some attributes. And if you were to go back and look at all of these false gods, all of this mythology that was at work at this time period, you would find 15 characteristics that all of these different gods have, right? And this is in that book um, by J. Warner Wallace. And, and he tries to go full-on Baptist pastor, and he makes them all start with the letter I, which, to be honest, just confused me, Okay. Some of these words I've never heard of before. So I put the definitions out there so that I would know what they mean, right? The first one is inevitable. I am inevitable, right? Reminds you of Thanos from, from the movies, right? But inevitable just means unavoidable, certain to happen. That one of the attributes of the mythology of God was that he was inevitable. Now, before we go too far, why would, why would this be important? Well, because so many times I've heard, well, Jesus was just a copy of other gods, he was just like the, the Jewish version of Dionysus or the Jewish version of Horus or the Jewish version of all. He was just a copy of all these other things, right? That's what people would, would claim in here. But when we begin to look at this list and we get in to look at the other gods, we're going to find them falling short. All right, let's keep looking. Number two, he's imperial, that he's of royal descent, right? He's a shoot of King David's line for Jesus, right? He's inexplic- uh, unexplainable. He's mysterious. He's a word I can't even say. Inexplicable or something like that, right? He's insulated, meaning that he's protected from evil, meaning that he's holy. Wouldn't holy be a better word than insulated? I don't know why I thought of like a pipe. I'm not a god. But anyway, right? Um, invade? I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up. And it means written about or even complained about that. Many times the gods were the ones that they complained to. Why are you doing this to me? Or... Do this for me. And then it would be the same. Isn't that so true today? That people want to ask God for things and then they blame him for other things. Right? And he's still that way even today. Right? He is identified. In other words, he's made himself known. He's a miracle worker, which is what makes them God. They're different than us. Right? Um, They're an interactor. In other words, they connect to the world in some way. Our God came in the flesh. Right? He gave instructions on how to live. He's a protector meaning he pays the price, he was charged with something. Most of the gods have been accused of causing something to happen, right? When you think about all the mythologies that are out there, right? You see an inviter, he invites man to dwell with him, gives eternal life, intervenes on the behalf of others as a judge. So these are these 15 characteristics that you see of all these gods. And here's a chart, this is from that book, and it shows all of these different gods and how many of these 15 were applied to them. Now, some of them were not very good gods, right? They had like maybe four check marks on this list, right? All of them, by the way, had the miraculous check mark. They all did miracles of some kind, right? But some of them were pretty impressive inside of their mythologies, right? You have Buddha over here has 10 of those check marks. You have Dionysus, which was the Greek copy of Jesus, right? God and a human had a baby, and that was a half God, half human being, and did these incredible things that were similar to what Jesus was going to do based upon the prophecies. So you see these myths, but did you know there's only one God in antiquity that fulfilled all 15 of them? Can you guess his name? I mean, Jesus, right? Right answer in church all the time. That Jesus was the one who not only was the judge, but he interacted with mankind by becoming man who lived the perfect life and then was the protector and one who paid the price so that we could be invited into eternal life. That's the God that we serve. 
Not a God that just stands on high and is angry or a God that needs to be served, but a God who comes to serve and washes his disciples' feet. Our God is different than the pantheon of other gods because he's real. And all of these other gods are trying to be a cheap copy of what Jesus was going to be. Yet we worship the one true God who came not only in the perfect time in the culture, but came in the perfect time of curiosity towards God. And so perhaps in the next couple weeks, it is the perfect time for you to share Christ with your family, your friends, your coworkers. Because at Christmas time, everybody is open to talking about this baby that was born. Because it's Christmas. Are you ready to step into that timing. And I want to close with a couple of verses that I think just really echoes um, this sort of idea that we're talking about. The first was in Habakkuk, right, chapter 2. And, and as we look at these verses, just think ahead to Christ. Because are we excited about Christ's return? Like what a great Christmas present that would be, right? Christ returns, okay? But listen to these verses and how they just echo this this faith and trust in God and his plan. It says this, for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens towards the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come and it will not delay. It might feel like things are moving slow in your life, right? But don't consider that slowness on God's part. Perhaps it's, it's patience for him because he has a desire for no one to perish, but all to come to eternal life. So even if things might feel like they're going slow in your time, and maybe there's a purpose in that. You just haven't gotten there yet. So that's why we trust in our waiting. Let's look at another verse. This is Isaiah chapter 46, and and it talks about this. It says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Isn't that amazing? None like our God, right? He says this, declaring the end from the beginning And from ancient times, things not yet done. From ancient times, from Daniel, he predicts things not yet done. He gives us a time period. He says, look ahead, 32, 33, something's going to happen. The Messiah is going to be cut off, but he's going to atone for the sins. He's going to complete the time of sin and give a time of grace. This is good God. My counsel shall stand and and I will accomplish all my purpose. Do you believe that? That in your life, God's going to accomplish his purpose. He's doing it for the world, but he's also a personal God. Big God, there is no other, yet we are the temple and he lives in us. Ooh, what a gift that is. And we're going to close out here um, in, this, this, in Acts chapter 1. I think this is kind of the final call um, of God upon our life. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is getting ready to ascend. And they, they ask him this question. So when he, they had come together, they asked, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is this the time? Like you, you, you raise from the dead. Is this the time that it all ends and, and all? He says no, right? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Are you ready to be that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, are you ready to fly to Thailand and rescue people? Are you ready to go into your home and rescue your workplace? Are we ready to be witnesses 
for Jesus. So the last encouragement. Jesus was a historical figure that came into the world. We don't have to have doubt. We can step with confidence into a world of doubt and say, this is truth. We can be a witness to him. Let's do it this Christmas season. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, that you empower us and you gift us to go into a world and be your witnesses. Lord, I thank you for the calling that you put on our life to witness and tell others about you. Lord, I thank you that you have made it so easy on us, Lord, that your word is so incredible. That, Lord, the words of Daniel can echo to us today to show us how beautiful your design and your perfect will is. Lord, if you, if you can accomplish all that, you could take care of my life as well. So I, I just pray that you'll help me to trust you more in the walk day by day that I'll walk in a manner worthy of your calling. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Pastor Chris. Well, good morning, everyone. Girls, are you ready for your women's retreat, January 20 and 22nd? Who's going? I should only see women's hands up. Okay, good, good. Well, I'll tell you, today is the last day to sign up, and it's right in the back underneath the PATH group wall. And uh, my wife is there ready to punch in your numbers and your name. Um, and so go see them. Today is the last day to do that. Where, where's Dr. Dr. Howard? I call him doctor. Here he is. I call him doctor because, well, he's a doctor. He's my dentist here in Kyle and a fantastic dentist at that. Tonight, you want to be here at 6 o'clock. He's going to uh, teach on a defense of the virgin birth. Uh, so from 6 to 7.30, don't miss that. And I've already talked to him. If you want to stay late, he'll clean your teeth for free. So no, no extra charge. L looking forward to that. Uh, but seriously, be here tonight at 6 o'clock for that, and we're looking, looking forward to you guys doing that for us. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what's that last one? Isn't that fantastic? Prince of Peace. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.